We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, and I'm Ian Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. We've got the full team today, Elliot, Tim and Paul. We're talking about the 4-1 victory away to FC Basel. Is it FC Basel or just Basel? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Who cares? I'm enjoying football at the moment. I'm sure many Gooners are. It's very exciting. We're playing some wonderful football, and long may that continue. Uh, yes, enjoy the podcast. Back after Stoke City. And uh, yes, see you later. Podcast host quite brilliantly earns Arsenal a place atop the group and into the final 16 of the Champions League. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, but you don't want to do that because you want to thank me on Twitter for earning Arsenal the top place in its Champions League group. That's right, faithful listener, mom. Uh, As you know, I put on one hell of a jinx in the last podcast saying that there was no chance that Ludogorets could get a result in Paris. Well, obviously, I knew that they could, and I believed that they would, and felt confident that we would top the group. My incredible jinxing powers have led to that happening, and thanks to a comfortable win in Basel, because the manager picked the strong side that I always hoped he would, we are now first in our Champions League group and sitting ready and prepared to draw Real Madrid in the knockout round. So, With that out of the way, let's introduce the two regular, uh, intelligent, and not at all boastful individuals who will be on this podcast. The first is uh, Paul. You can find him on Twitter at PausingInMyPants. Hello, Paul. Don't think you're getting off that lightly with your joking your way out of it. Hello. Look, if there's one thing about me, I always get off lightly. Um, And here as well, and I I want you to know, listener, that... um, we do the heavy lifting for you. We do the work that's needed. We put in the time, the dedication to deliver you the best possible podcast. And we've just done that because Tim has recounted in detail his journey home from Switzerland off air. We've done the work of listening to it so you don't have to. That's right. Tim is here. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Tim, I joke. Thank you for being here. That's fine. So what happened was... And uh, <laughs> there's a little the thing... ticketing apocalypse. Yeah. There's a little thing that, that if you're an iPhone user anyway, there's like an advanced 15 seconds feature on the podcast. Just jam your finger on that like six or seven times and you should be good. Um, all kidding aside, Tim, I'm, I'm glad you made it back. I'm sorry the journey was horrible. We don't have to go into the detail, but uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right, we'll give you first crack at it. Um, when you saw the lineup... Uh, Paul and I had a detailed discussion. He felt there wouldn't be heavy rotation. I felt that there should be and hoped that there would be. There was not. What was your reaction to the selection? 
Well, I, I was uh, I listened to to the podcast uh, while I was sorry sorry to hear that I, while I was gallivanting around Switzerland trying not to spend lots of money, um, and I I agreed with you, Elliot, in that I All right, I wanted that's a win. us. <laughs> I I got the manager's reasons, and I saw his interview where he said something like, you know, when you're on a good thing, sometimes it's more dangerous to stop than to keep going. Um, however. I I wanted us to play a League Cup side, um, and I'll admit that's because I thought there was no chance Ludogorets would get anything in Paris. But I also thought we could still beat Basel with our League Cup team. And um, speaking to a, a Basel fan out there, and he said that they have been absolutely dreadful this season. I think on Saturday they lost to a team in the bottom five who went down to ten men. And they lost 3-1 and he just said they're having an absolutely dreadful season, one of the worst in recent memory. And, uh, and you know, the way we took them apart at the Emirates as well, when it really should have been, you know, that that was more a 6-0 than the Ludogorets at home where we actually won 6-0, that Basel game. So I, w- I was fairly confident we could get the result anyway. Um, I do kind of take the manager's point about keeping momentum going, but... For me, he's not out of the woods with that decision. It's not vindicated until we see what happens in the next three games. I would say the um, next six games. Right? I mean, we have six yeah. six Premier League games in twenty four days, and none of them are areas where are games where you really feel great about rotating. I mean, you kind of have to around no. the, the the Christmas period program one, but. Um, you know, so this would have been his one chance to get rest for players. Yeah. Who yeah, yeah, exactly. I, the reason I say the next three is I think after Man City, we've got eight days off. So I, I kind of tend to think that's Fair enough, enough, at least in the run-up to the them very congested period. But, yeah, I mean, if... if Because, uh, you know, when we played uh, Middlesbrough at home on the back of smashing Ludogorets in the Champions League and smashing them 6-0 was very nice, but then Ozil and Alexis both looked knackered and we drew 0-0 against Middlesbrough. So... You know, I didn't think that that was a great trade-off personally. And if something similar happens again on Saturday and we end up huffing and puffing against Stoke and, you know, Alexis and Ozil look a bit leggy, then, you know, I, I still would question that decision. That said, he, he took them both off, I suppose, nice and early. Um, well, I mean, I think it's also fair to say if we're going to sit and brag about, oh, well, we have Giroud and we have Elneny and we have, you know, these, these players that we think are great squad players and mean we have squad depth and Ox... And, you know, uh, all of these mm. these guys that, whose names we reel off, if we can't give them a start away in Basel, um, especially in a situation where the game looked at least mostly uh, a dead rubber, and I, I fully admit I got that one wrong, and I'm glad I did, but how much squad depth do you have if Alexis and Ozil have to play in this game? Yeah, indeed. Although I, I, I think from the manager's comments, it wasn't so much that he thought we had to play them, you know, to win. His the dreaded momentum. about. Yeah, keeping the momentum, keeping them going, and, you know, sometimes... And the style. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, so in terms of how I felt with the selection, I mean, I I could guess from his comments pre-game that it was going to be... It was going to be full strength to the degree that they were both going to play, which is, you know, all the other pieces in the team to differing degrees are interchangeable, but those two just aren't. Um, and, you know, I thought he was totally right, you know, to give holding a game next to, you know, someone quite senior because I've liked what I've seen of him so far, but we've only seen him next to, like, Gabriel and Chambers. I liked him playing um, playing next to Koscielny and giving, you know, Gabriel another game at right back. Um, also seemed like a good idea to me and the likes yep. of it. So the, the, the rest of it I, I could kind of live with. Um, I, I, you know, there's no one else in there. I maybe Koscielny, but I think really you have to play one of Koscielny or Mustafi, and really it's flip a coin um, between those two. Yeah, and, um, and so to be the, fair, it is relatively heavy rotation in that the goalkeeper, one yeah. of the centre backs, the left back, one of the midfielders, one of the wide players, or both of the wide players are rotate. So I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't well, light rotation. Those, it's just that Alexis well, and <laughs> a lot of those though are the standard. Rotations we've seen for every champion. Right, right, league but, game. but I, yeah. I guess the, the real the real crux of of the issue is Alexis and Ozil. 
Agreed. Yeah, yeah. And um, actually, if you look at um, what we've been doing recently, there has been a lot of rotation between games. Between, I think, was it PSG to Bournemouth? Both big games at home that we definitely wanted to win. And I think there were seven changes between those two. There's, there has been quite a bit of rotation going on, um, just not really those two players. It's crazy because we're on a really good run and we look really good, and I'm not convinced the manager still even knows what his preferred 11 is. I'm not sure he knows what his central midfield partnership, preferred central midfield partnership is. I'm not sure he knows who he wants on the left or right wing. I would say that the only position that is absolutely assured in the team ahead of the back four or back five are Alexis and Ozil, and everything else is still kind of up for grabs. Um, Paul, I would think it's only the central midfield that he doesn't have a pretty good idea. Well, I mean, he mightn't be fully settled on his front three, but he likes his front three. I, I mean, do, do you think it's definitely Awobi, Alexis, and Theo? Because I don't. I think he likes Awobi, Alexis, and Theo, that Theo and Alexis at the moment are part of his front three. And his only issue is Awobi is young. He, he's maybe he's a little bit out of isn't he? Yeah, he, he's a little bit out of form. That's not the same as not knowing what your front three is, you know what I mean? Well, no, it, I, I get it, but I would say that, you know, we've seen Theo rotated out, Knox rotated in, and Ramsey put in the wide positions, and Awobi brought in. So I, I'm not suggesting that he doesn't have a sense. I'm not saying he's, like, totally clueless about it, but it's just interesting that for a team playing well like we are and on the run that we are on doesn't have an even more settled 11. Well, well, well let me do this, because... Sure. I don't think there's any need for you and I to discuss the the lineup he picked. You you were right about him going for, you know, momentum and continuity and we had a pretty extensive conversation about it, so I don't think it benefits anyone to have it again. So let's just move on to performances and yeah. I think there are two in particular that we need to discuss and that are sort of interwoven. On the one hand, you have Lucas Perez who scores a hat trick. On the other hand, you have Awobi who in a game we dominated maybe wasn't really as strong a performer as you might have expected. Is the left wing the most wide open position in the squad? And did Lucas do enough to make a claim for it? Um, So I thought Lucas was very good offensively. Uh, I think he showed a lot of things that, that have promise. He, he he is very quick, really good burst. Uh, I thought he linked up well, but, but at the same time, uh, his integration to the rest of the team, like he did not cover Gabriel. I mean, if you remember that uh, shot on, I think it was about 12 minutes with Treori skipping our far post, that was Perez's man. Now, to be fair, it was early in the game, so he's still newly back. But if he's going to play on the right, uh, that's a challenge. If he's going to play on the left, to your point, Maybe we got more coverage with the Monreal or a Gibbs behind him. Well, I'm giving Theo um, credit for having the right wing nailed down, and maybe yeah. he doesn't. I, I guess the question I should have asked is, did he do enough to make a claim for one of the wide positions? Yeah, uh, and so not yet. And if you listen to the manager's comments, he basically had the same view of the goals as I did, which was there were three good tap-ins. I mean, Fox in the box stuff. Uh, He was hungry, he was in the right place. And what was nice about him is he did the Theo trick of when Sanchez vacated the centre forward, he was more than happy to grab that spot himself. So he, without Theo, he certainly works well in that spot. He exactly takes up that that role. Um, And he's fast and he can make the run-ins behind and he has that striker attitude. So I think he's a really good like-for-like with Theo to some degree. He's left-footed, so it brings him in, uh, you could argue, onto his uh, attacking foot. He, uh, I'd seen him play a lot from the games I sampled. I didn't watch all of them, but the games I sampled from him in Spain, he seemed to do quite a bit from the left-hand side. But that was counter-attacking, so you're not really cutting into to one foot or the other. You, you can kind of go either way. But if we're we're attacking a team that's sitting a bit deep, then it does matter which foot you're cutting into or not on because right. you're probably only going to get one look at it from one angle. So I think he can be a good Theo alternative. I don't think he's there yet. I don't think the manager sounded like he thought he was there yet. Uh, he was grateful for the goals, but you know it was well, mainly about a guy being in the right position. He scored two tap-ins, 
Well, I, I shouldn't. You know what? The first one isn't a tap in. It takes some composure and patience and and confidence to make sure you don't just hammer that into a defender. The second it's one's a calm a, tap in. Though. It's a calm tap in. He 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 does have the nice finish, low and and hard past the keeper, which is the Theo finish. So he certainly aped the Theo role pretty nicely. Um, yeah. I think it's an interesting did, did, position. So did, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead, please. I was going to make a point about Iwobi, which is I saw a lot of criticism of him. I don't like. I do think he's a bit off, and he didn't have his best game ever. But he assisted the best part of a goal when Sanchez was through, wasn't offside, and hit it at the keeper, but could or or should have as much as any other goal we scored, put it away. It was a really nice little move. So you know, it can come down to a couple of moves in the game. I thought his movement and hit. The difference between the two wings was Iwobi and Gibbs really worked well. And so they kind of share that glory because a lot of Iwobi's movement was pulling a player away that allowed Gibbs to get in behind time and time again. So that side worked really well. If you look at our passing combinations, again, the left side was our most dominant by a long way for passing. Again, for obvious reasons, because we have the, the right back issue, even though I thought Gabrielle's doing a swimming job he's obviously not quite the attacking fullback he's not the the uh wing forward you might want on that side so uh, i was not nearly as down on a wobi he's not in his best form but i think it kind of works out there still with the theo slash perez attacking uh wide forward option filling in at at uh center forward every time uh, Sanchez drops back, which is every time. Um, it will be still works on the left, and I don't think anybody else does, apart from Ox and, and only in certain games for all the reasons you've gone into before. I think we can use Theo and Ox in some games, uh, but you wouldn't want to push your luck against a strong team. We'll, we'll feel the the cost of not, you know, Awobi's passing, even though we had a few errant ones in the game, he was still around the 90% mark. Yeah, I, I just um, think it, everything's a little less precise with him right now, a little slower and yeah. a little less precise than it was earlier in the season. The touches are a little looser. The eye for the pass yep. is a little less um, sharp and, and intuitive and um, instinctive is the word I'm looking for there. Hey, I'll air some dirty laundry just really quickly. I'm picking up a little bit of a hum off your microphone. So if you want to just rattle the connector... It might be that. Moi? Yeah, you. Um, uh, so, yeah, anyway, no, I, I, I'm not, you know, I think, I'm not burying a Wobi, but I think his recent performances create something interesting. And, Tim, this is this is interesting because you you really were very impressed with a Wobi going into this season off the back of what he did last season, and you felt that he was sort of the a, a must-start level player early in the season for what he had added to our attacking side of the game. Now, He's maybe fallen back a little, which is to be expected at his age in terms of a lack of consistency. Um, you have Oxlade Chamberlain, who, granted, is coming off a game where he performed really well, especially in the last 15 minutes, um, but has been uneven this season. And then you have Lucas Perez, who you bought in the summer, who's an experienced player, who clearly has an eye for a goal, um, but maybe, apart from the hat trick, as silly as this sounds, didn't influence mm. the game as much as as he possibly could have from open play. Is is this really going to be the interesting selection battle now? Which one of those three gets the, the left wing berth? And then I guess you could even throw Ramsey into that because we'll come to him in a minute. So I don't want to get too much into the Ramsey discussion just now. But what are your thoughts on on who our, our first choice wide players are right now? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I've got a feeling that at the moment he might go a little bit horses for courses on this. So, you know, in games like... Um, in fact, I think Chamberlain might have enjoyed this game last night as well, just because basically games that lack structure, um, you know, really play into the hands of Chamberlain, those kind of slugfests um, where it's a bit chaotic and up and down. That's when Chamberlain comes into his own. And uh, I thought he was really good against Bournemouth and West Ham because that's what those games were like. They were a bit backwards and forwards, um, quite open, um, and actually, uh, quite a lot of it down to individual um, uh, individuals trying to make a difference. Um, and in games where it calls for a bit more structure, it probably has to be a Wobi or Ramsey. At the moment, I st- you know, despite his hat trick, I still don't think Lucas Perez is really up to speed, um, and I don't think he's a serious option just at the moment. Maybe that will change as we get over 
you know, in the Christmas period, and we really have to use the squad a bit more. Um, what would be your I concerns mean, there? Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? I, I don't think he's quite plugged into the team um, quite yet. And, yeah, his, his involvement in the games is still, even in spite of the hat-trick, is still quite minimal. And I think it was interesting, uh, you were talking about the left side there. And actually, if you look at all of the goals, all of the work was done on the left for all four of them. Um, and Perez, you know, took up great positions for his first two goals to be able to put them away. And, and his third goal, actually, that was, you know, they were, they were all good, like, strikers finishes. And that's quite valuable because, you know, Alexis doesn't really do that kind of six-yard box bit. But um, it, all the work was done on the left for all three of them. That's where the build-up came. How, how and, much uh, of that and, is know, down to the fullback situation, though? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, Gibbs and Monreal recently have done that Bellerin bit, haven't they? Like, it's, it's shift, the, the, the impetus has shifted over to the left-hand side and they've got the left fullback attacking. And that's, you know, we've discussed this before. That's why Walcott's probably been a bit quieter. Well, exactly, right. I mean, we've seen Wal- Walcott quiet down a little bit. And so is, is it fair to sort of judge Lucas on that same curve, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Possibly not. Possibly not. I, I just think it's and it's it's totally natural at this point. Lucas just hasn't played enough really to really feel his way into this team, um, and you know whether he gets the chance to do that because you know once Welbeck comes back, that, that there's quite a bit of competition in there. And what's what's quite interesting is then I think you've got probably four players who can play on the left. Um, you know, five if you include Ramsey. But none of them are ideal for different reasons. They all do different things. They're all slightly flawed options in one way or another, um, but in completely different ways. And it's it's a little bit, it's reminding me a little bit of the central midfield, really. Although I think that's starting to sort itself out with, with Granite Jacker really establishing himself. It's that kind of... Well, if I play him, I get this, but I lose this. And if I play him, I lose this, but I get that. And there's there's a lot of mixing and matching. And I think this is why you're seeing a lot of rotation. And whether it's deliberate, and Arsene Wenger has thought, do you know what, to to really make an attack on the Premier League and the Champions League, I'm going to need to rotate. And because rotation has never been his strong point, it really hasn't. But recently, he does look like he's beginning to. Um, show a bit more of a knack for it and certainly yeah. more of an appetite for it. Um, and it it could just be that we go like this for the rest of the season where we can and where we have the players available that he just looks at every game and says, right, this is going to be a slugfest, Chamberlain. This, we're going to need a bit more control in the midfield. And it, it won't be played almost like a central midfielder, I think, um, against Basel. He kind of came into the middle a bit more and that... And Ozil came quite a bit deeper than he usually does. And, uh, you know, that allowed Ramsey to, to break forward. And I don't know if he was trying something there in terms of, you know, he's had Ozil and Alexis rotating this kind of false nine role, whereas on Tuesday it felt a bit more like Ozil and Ramsey were rotating the get forward from midfield yeah, role. Yeah, so. Ozil dropped deeper than I've seen him all season. I mean, yeah, he was collecting yeah. the ball in our defensive half, I think for the first time this season. Can I suggest a, a thought on that? Well, yes. All right. So, so let me turn it over to you, Paul, because I think uh, the, the takeaway from here, from this game is that Granite Shaka continues to impress. And I, I think now is firmly established as a guy that's got to start, but we got to see the Ramsey Shaka uh, central midfield pairing that I think so many people thought would become that first choice and ultimately mean that Coughlin is left out. But the Ramsey reviews were not sparkling. And in fact, there was one article on Football 365, I believe. Is that where it was? Actually a scathing uh, review of Ramsey's performance, basically saying that Shaka can't do everything, but Ramsey kind of expected him to. What do you think of Ramsey's performance as Shaka's partner? I thought that was way harsh. I mean, given that I suspect he was given instructions to be conservative, to focus on his spacings, to focus on covering Chaka, because my little theory in terms of Chaka and Ozil dropping deep and Iwobi spending a lot of time kind of flitting around the left, making connections, is 
Basel certainly came out to put to press and to put pressure specifically on Chaka because um, they know him. Um, he's a really good distributor, but he can get caught with the ball. And if you look on eight or nine minutes, uh, he has the ball. They press him really hard. He passes it into the midfield to nobody. And I think we've seen that a little bit in the past with him, uh, where um, his game's really good, but if you press him, sometimes his feet don't look to be moving as quickly as you would like them to, like an Arteta would or a Santi. And I think the manager was probably hoping to pair Chaka and Santi in the early stages, because then you have two players who can handle the press together. So I think the manager was particularly concerned to make sure Chaka against Basel of all teams, um, if he got pressed, had players around him to support and to give him an outlet so that it would go well. I mean, I think he can, I, I think it's an area of game he can definitely improve on. I do think it's the one question mark over him going forward. We haven't, when we have seen him pressed heavily, We've seen him kind of cough up the ball from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part has not been proven yet. Uh, the rest of his game, I mean, he looks great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'd want him starting basically every game. Probably the manager does. But the manager still has to find somebody who can work with him. Ramsey is not all, you know, Ramsey did something similar himself. Uh, like five minutes later, he fired the ball from the right wing into the middle to towards one of the centre-backs. But Ramsey, as we know, is a player who can put the middle under pressure too if he overplays it. And we didn't... Did we see a single flick from him? Probably, but I don't remember it. Um, Generally, it was a pretty conservative game and it worked. And those two, you know, they let Chaka's passing do the talking for midfield and we had plenty of attacking up front uh, with Perez so front-loaded in terms of his effort and attack, which paid off for us, um, you know, Gabe and he weren't... Uh, Gabe hung back. He was defensive. I think Ramsey took a very conservative role to make sure that side was secure with Perez so far up and so uh, striker-oriented. And all the fluid interplay was on the left, which was also Chaka's side, where the passing came from, where Uwobi was... Um, so I think we made our choices and I think Ramsey, I suspect the manager was pretty happy with, uh, Ramsey's performance, Ramsey Chaka and with Wobi's role, uh, all, albeit, uh, it didn't catch the eye too often. It supported what everybody else did in that area, including Gibbs. I mean, Gibbs spent half his time as, as a winger up there. Somebody enabled that. And Iwobi did a lot of good work in all that link up. You know, he, he's making passes, passes in those 20, 30 passes. So mm-hmm. I think the manager will be pretty happy with how that all worked. Fair enough. I, the, the passing moves are back. I mean, the one thing that was delightful to see is, you know, what's traditionally been known as Wenger Ball. I mean, I, yeah. I, I've talked about it so much on this podcast now that I'm almost bored of myself talking about it, which means everybody else must just be desperate for me to, you know, stop being on the podcast or something. But it just that the attractive football is back and it really, you know, we we always hear about Arsenal playing attractive football. I don't think we had played attractive football for a while and we are, again, the ball is moving quicker, a lot of one touch, a lot of faster attacks, but, you know, that 832 pass move for a goal and just some gorgeous play. I mean, the, the Alexis ball over the top to Gibbs is insane. That What a beautiful ball that is. Um, it's basically him doing that thing again where he pretty much puts his foot on the ball, looks up, and kind of with no no speed on the ball and him not moving, he still manages to dink it over the top to the guy for what's effectively an assist. Yeah, I, I think for a player who completes a relatively low percentage of passes, Alexis, I think a part of the reason for that is he is always trying to make something happen when he plays the ball. Um, and by the way, speaking of pa- completing passes, Shaka, just 111 passes completed at a 94% clip. 
So what was also you know. interesting uh, in terms of balance when you because that was sensational. And, and don't get me wrong. I thought Chaka was sensational and a huge part of why we played Wenger ball. There's well, no four, two ways 14 ball recoveries and 104 completed passes suggest that he was pretty much great at both ends of the pitch. He was monster. Um, so when you add uh, I thought El Nenny, by the way, I thought he for a, a guy who's normally so low key, I thought he came on to impress and he was really good. But when you add him and Ramsey together, they're like at 90 something versus 111 for Chaka, which is pretty good balance between those two guys. Going back to the discussion from the previous game of Coquelin and Chaka, albeit around the 58, 53 number or something like that, still Chaka and the people partnering with them are finding a nice balance. So I think that's very hopeful. Yeah, look, Elneny, 30 passes attempted, 30 passes completed. Good enough. Um, so, Tim, I'm wondering if you... And they were you... pretty aggressive, I must say. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if you have a different take on Ramsey's performance and where we go from here uh, with him and with midfield. Um, no, not yet. <laughs> Quite All right, frankly. I'm wondering if you can I... manufacture a different take, maybe something of the hot <laughs> variety. <laughs> I... I think you know. He, I think he has wanted to give the Jacka Ramsey thing a try for a while, um, but you know, as we were just saying, there was a lot going on in that midfield. So you know, Ozil was dropping deeper, Awobi was coming central, Ramsey was kind of you know up and down as usual. Lucas Perez was playing more as like a striker, um, and again, possibly because Ozil was coming deeper, we were happier with Lucas Perez playing more like a nominal forward. And again, we kind of ended up with that front two, um, albeit, you know, not in quite the same shape, although, you know, I, I was quite taken by what Paul said in the last pod about, you know, when we get the ball, actually there is no formation. It's just where's the space um, kind of thing. So that there was a lot going on and there was a lot to unpack and it's, it'd be interesting, you know, maybe Wenger just, he wanted, well, first of all, he obviously didn't want to try it until it was a game not quite as much consequence um, or whether it was just there was so much going on that he just didn't have any bloody time to sit there and go, right, I'm going to play you two together, but Mesut, you've got to do this. Lucas, you've got to do this. So whether you've got to do this for, for all the pieces to fit together um, or whether that's just naturally how it came about. I, I'm of the opinion that what his thinking might be at the moment is for you know, there's a certain type of game like West Ham where Coquelin is, you know, absolutely crucial and very, very important. And what he does serves a brilliant purpose. And then there are some games where he might as well not be there, um, depending on the type of game it is. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's got in his mind uh, the manager. Well, for some games, maybe typically away from home, let's say, I'm going to go for Jacker and Coquelin for a little bit of protection and because they're both kind of good for the the counter-attacking, um, counter-pressing kind of game. And then, you know, maybe at home against the team who parks the bus, maybe I want Ramsey in there because we don't have to work quite as hard to control the midfield and he provides a bit of extra goal threat. And, you know, with Alexis up front, there's always space to run into and uh, I think Ramsey can do that. Um, and, you know, if you've got effectively yesterday, you had kind of Mesut and Jacker, you know, in the playmaking roles, trying to provide the bullets for Perez and Ramsey and Alexis just doing a bit of everything. Um, so I think that there's, there's quite a lot of very interesting stuff going on there. I still don't think, you know, the manager's made any definitive decisions about the centre of his midfield, about how he's going to use Ramsey about whether he'll play him on the left again um, on occasion. I, I tend to think that that might just come out in the big games. So don't be surprised at all if Ramsey starts on the left at Man City, for example. I could definitely see that happening. Um, but I think he might be trying to veer towards this kind of situation where Jacker pretty much always plays and then it's one of Ramsey or Coquelin, depending on what the situation calls for. Um, and in terms of Ramsey, that then means that Ramsey gets quite a few games in central midfield. He might get the occasional game on the left. Um, and the manager might think, you know, that might keep him happy-ish until, 
you know, until things kind of settle down or our options get whittled down or something really, really works that he wants to stick with. Mm -hmm. um, are you worried at all about Ramsey being potentially sort of a problematic force in this squad in the sense that there may be slightly better options than him, you know, that Coughlin might actually be a slightly better partner for, for Shaka, that Iwobi or Lucas or Ox might be slightly better wide option, that Ramsey is a profile of player that the manager feels needs to play and that that feeling of, of burden to play him becomes problematic? Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. Um that said, I, you know, I, I do think, as I've said before, that, that Ramsey has been playing in a setup that's kind of unfavourable to him for quite a while. And I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, he's a bit of a Goldilocks player. And I really don't think he is. I, I think um, you, you'd get that problem with anyone if you keep playing them with players that don't complement them. But yes, I, I think there is a chance that, you know, the manager really, really likes him and believes in him and wants to keep him happy. And, you know, there's there's a potential for possibly shoehorning him. Um, I I believe in his quality enough, personally, to make it work. Um, I, think, I think he's got such a good all-round game that, um, you know, he's not as cavalier as well as people think. So I read that piece on F365 that said, you know, he was anywhere but central midfield and I pulled up the um, the average position map and you know his heat map and stuff like that and I just thought that just looks like a box-to-box -box midfielder um, to me who's got a lot of energy he spent the vast majority of his time in central midfield but yes he gets forward yes he comes back yes there's, sometimes there's definitely right something there, there's something to the fact that the most common pass combinations to Ozil were Koscielny Gabriel and Gibbs you know, yeah. I mean, right? I mean, there's there's something to the fact that Ramsey started in midfield and suddenly Ozil is dropping deeper than he has at any point this season, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I do think that that was by design because it's not like we were forced back by Basel. Had, no, had just to give like... Ramsey that freedom, right, though, to, to, exactly. to try to get forward a little. Because is a Ramsey that doesn't score a player you need in your side? Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. I, I think, like I say, I think... Um, this kind of idea has begun to build up of him. And don't get me wrong, quite a bit of it is his fault, as it were, because I think he has somewhere along the line become too obsessed with goal scoring. But this is a brilliant all-round player. He has, for me, he has everything. He really, really does. Um, actually, that's, that's what everyone used to say when he was a bit younger, that, you know, this is like a Swiss Army knife of a midfielder. This is a guy who can do everything well. You know, he's not outstanding at any one thing, but he can do everything well. And then I think he had that season where he scored lots of goals. And so you get a reputation on the back of that. And I think maybe he bought into that reputation a bit. I think we've seen this season, um, you know, some evidence that he's coming away from that. So his, his performance against PSG was a great all-round performance, you know, mm -hmm. defensively, offensively. You know, his stats were, were, you know, he was top in every aspect you'd want a central midfielder to be. Albeit in um, a terrible team uh, performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, mo and, or mostly, and, you know. And, and again, that was kind of down to the selection, really, which was, which was wrong. And I think, you know, he, he wasn't that impressive against Basel. I thought he, you know, he reined it in a bit and did his job. But I, I do think he's showing this willingness to kind of, uh, rein it in is perhaps not the right phrase, but, you know, to fit into the team ethos. And I, I think he has been for a while. Um, but, you know, these these kind of, I don't want to use the word narrative because it, it pisses me off when people overuse it. But um, this narrative that, <laughs> that, you know, he's has really, really built up now that like, oh, he's just selfish. He just wants goals. He just wants to run forward all the time. He just abandons the midfield. And I don't actually think that's been true this season mm -hmm. um, at all. But, he took, you know, he took one shot. He took one shot in this game in the whole thing. And I think that was in the first 15 minutes. I think he yeah. played a very moderated game. And sometimes you can tell what the intention of a match is right from the first 15 minutes. Shit happens later on and the hell goes to plan. If you look at his first, I, I just watched the first 15 or 20 minutes 
specifically to see what he and Chaka and a couple of others were doing. He basically sits back. Um, he's really the sideman. Now, the second half, I don't remember so well how much he got forward or not, but certainly the pattern of the game as it started out, it seemed it was all built around Chaka and giving him the appropriate outlets uh, on the basis that at least early on Basel would would press him. And I I would bet the manager is pretty happy with what Ramsey did um, and is probably... The team talk may well have been, listen, we'll go crazy in the future. In future games, you can get up there and you can tear it up and take 97 shots. But today, let's start with you two building an understanding. I think that's what they did. Yeah, well, all right. So, look, I mean, and it's easy to dismiss it. Oh, it's Basel. They're terrible. And, all right, we pounded Ludogratz. They're horrible. And All right, fine. But it wasn't that long ago. Basel could have scored two in the first 15 minutes. They had the ball they they put in the net, right, which was called offside by inches. And they had, uh, what's his face, Uh, Traore skimming the right post. That was all in the first 15 minutes. They're not... Uh, uh, we're giving know. teams chances by the way <laughs> let's let's not forget that yeah. like we are giving teams sure. chances and i felt there was an openness about our game maybe down to the fact that we felt comfortable in our ability to go up a gear and and beat them but it wasn't that long ago that we couldn't win at places like olympiacos and braga in europe our away form in europe was horrendous um so I think there is something to the fact that now when we go away to weaker teams we're just you know we're swatting them aside i mean look at last season we we started off, what was it, Zagreb that we lost at to open the group where Giroud got sent off? Is that right? Yep. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, it makes a nice change for us to be handling our business against these teams even away. Um, Paul, just finish with this game with this. I mean, this is now several games in a row where, to me, it looks like we've switched to a four four one one. I mean, is that is that what you're seeing? Have we – I mean, you and I kind of discussed this, and you said that formations <laughs> are fluid and formations are the way the game starts, but there are a lot of times when you watch the game – um, and maybe we can get a quick word from Tim on this too. But, I mean, Paul, would you say that that the system, if if you don't want to get into formation, would you say that the system has evolved from from what it was when it was pretty clearly a four two three one? I think it's well. It, it, I still think it goes to the four two three one. It, the reason the manager likes it is because it's so flexible. It, it's anything but once the battle plan meets the battle because. You know, uh, first thing Alexis does is he drops into midfield. You got Ozil hovering around the place. You got us playing up our left side. Uh, our left side and right side work so differently together based on who our fullbacks are at the moment that the game kind of collapses over to that left side. Our right winger becomes our center forward. And while that may, you know, so you have one guy up front. But I don't know who the second guy up front is when we're attacking because Alexis drops back and any number of people. You know, it was Gibbs half the time against Basel. So I just think it's movement. I think it's fluidity. I think the right side, yes, there is one of your two. And then it's just a, a rotation, typically not a Wobie, but Ozil or, or Gibbs or Sanchez making that attacking run. And this swirl in midfield, you know, the movement, the quick passing, etc. cetera. Uh, to me, it defies. Uh, I don't find the formation uh, thing helpful for me to understand or to describe what we do in a game. That's why I struggle with it. Anyway, I'll, yeah, no, I that, said that the last time. That's fair. I, I think there's certainly a question, though, of, of how it's causing us to attack. And maybe what, what's happening is that the fullbacks, I mean— Maybe four four one one is kind of the wrong way to describe it. I mean, maybe in possession, it's that the wide players are coming into the center and the fullbacks are playing like wingbacks. I mean, Tim, just really quickly, because I am not a tactical expert, uh, which begs the question, what what kind of expert am I? Um, which we'll leave for another day. But do, a are non-tactical you, expert. Well, that for sure. I am definitely that. I am a, I'm a narrative expert, Tim. Um, <laughs> but since since you don't like narrative, we won't get into that. What uh, Do you see, a, if not a formation shift, a system shift, or both? Yeah, definitely. And, and it might just be because we're more flexible without, you know, putting numbers in places. It might not lend itself to a graphic quite so much, but it's definitely, definitely more flexible 
Um, and that goes throughout the squad. You know, we've, we've been playing, to my mind, a bit of a 4-4-1-1 recently. But that's not what we saw in Basel. We saw something quite different. Um, like I said, we had some of the pieces just in same pieces, just in different places. So instead of Ozil going into that nine spot, it was Lucas Perez from the wide right. And there's there's definitely a greater fluidity and, um, and flexibility in the team in games uh, is very, very obvious. And I'm, I'm not surprised because that for me was the biggest problem last season. We were totally inflexible. Uh, and a lot of that was because we lost um, some players that we really didn't want to lose for quite a while. But we we just kind of became, you know, very predictable and very staid, I think. And and this season we're, you know, we, we're we finding different ways to skin the cat. And, um, and, and even just from the substitutes bench, you know, we've, we've seen substitutes make the difference uh, when they're needed. And, and so, you know, the mixture of just having more bodies that do different things. And, you know, we, we've spoken on this podcast about all these central midfielders that do completely different things, all these left wingers that do completely different things, you know, these forwards that do completely different things. And overall, it's a bit of a Rubik's cube of a squad, and that's very, very different territory for Arsene Wenger. He's, for me, that's been one of his big weaknesses over the years. That actually, as we've evolved into more of a squad game, that's never been his bag. He he likes a quite settled lineup, a settled structure, um, and you know most of our best seasons or our best periods of form usually coincide with more or less the same team. Um, you know, keeping going, doing the same thing for for a sustained period of time. However, on this occasion, he seems to be fairly deliberately, I think, at this point, rolling with the punches. And, you know, all right, he bought a centre-back for 35 million. That's not great coaching. That's, you know, that's a fairly obvious thing to do. But, you know, he's reconfigured the forward line, the central midfield, um, you know, the wide position in Awobi, it's it's all quite new, um, and he's he's been kind of willing to do that and willing to give give players their head. Um, so it's it, it's it's incredibly interesting, and it's it's so much fresher and so much better um, than last season. And so what, whatever the formations might be, it's it's far more flexible, and we just basically at the moment our kind of plan C almost is, well, let's bring like Chamberlain and Giroud, like, like we saw at Old Trafford. That's like the plan C, right? Let's get Chamberlain on, and Giroud on and go a bit direct. Last year, that was plan A and there wasn't Don't much remind of a plan me. B. <laughs> and well, there wasn't really much of a plan B to go with it. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, it's much better. Isn't it also the case that in an era where teams are far better prepared for the opposition than they used to be, where there's more use of analyzing video and tactical breakdown and setting your team up to spoil the game and stop the opposition, the fact that we've been less predictable in our lineup, in our formation, in our system, in our method of attacking, not our method of attacking, but our method of attacking, um, if anybody wants some smeth, uh, you know, I know a guy who knows a guy, but... Uh, but our method of attacking is um, is that it, it makes it harder for the opposition to prepare for what we're going to do. Um, I think the fact that we have a striker in Alexis who pops up in 82 different locations instead of one who is pretty consistently standing in the same place doing the same thing makes it harder. And just the, the relative unpredictability of the positioning of our players, the selection of our players, uh, the movement and, and style of buildup makes a big difference. Um and that makes it hard for the opposition to kind of prepare to spoil us. So let's let's move on from this. But just fi- final thoughts on the system and the formation, Paul? Well, you kind of nicked my point, which <laughs> is really we're, we're when we play like this with Alexis in this form, we're just a nightmare for um, a defense, especially a less than perfect, less than robust defense. Because the first thing our center forward does is drop deep into midfield, leaving two centre-backs staring at each other, wondering whether they should follow him or not. He picks up the ball, he turns one guy 
turns another guy, then dribbles at them, then stops, puts his foot on the ball, looks around, chips over the back of said centre backs to the left wing to the left wing where our left full back is coming in. I mean, you can't fucking defend against that when a guy's in that kind of form. And that might just be his form. I mean, he's unleashed. And that's where all this, you know, first thing we do is hollow out the middle. So they have no fucking idea how to set up against it. That's why we're unpredictable. That's why the quality of our chances are better. That's why more of them are going in. The manager talked about that in answer to why are we scoring more? Why is our conversion rate higher? The simple fact is we're far more unpredictable than we were last year when uh, God love Olivier Giroud. You knew exactly where you were going to find him, find him at every stage of a game. Um, he's a great plan B, but um, Alexis is a superb plan A. Yeah, I would just take issue with one thing. You said we're far more unpredictable, and I would say we're just far less predictable. Um, okay. Yeah. So, hey, All Tim, right. quick question for you. Um, was I always right about Olivier Giroud? I was, right? Like, always right. Like, like it's, just, it's funny, right? The more I watch Alexis, the more I'm like, fuck me. This is an amazing striker. We are so lucky to have him. This guy's supremely talented. And the most sillier it seems to me that, like, we ever had to put ourselves in the position of rationalizing Olivier Giroud as being Arsenal's main and only, really, center forward. I mean, aren't we really seeing now just how much that persistence with that solution at that position held us back? Oh, by the way, we can call this the the agenda corner. (laughs) A a little bit, but I don't think it's news to Arsene Wenger just because of the variety of options he tried. I mean, he's been trying to sit Giroud on that bench for about four years. He even tried Jovino up front um, at one point. And Yaya Sanogo. (laughs) And Yaya. You know, he's preferred Danny Welbeck there um, at the end of last season. Tio. He preferred Theo, exactly. He tried to sign, you know, he's tried to sign any number of very, very different strikers to Giroud. I don't think it's really news to him. You might be able to ask the question why, you know, why did he, because, you know, he played Alexis up front early on and he seemed to give up on it quite quickly. And there might have been other reasons for that. Um, And, you know, you can ask all sorts of questions about how deliberate was this or was it just a move of desperation to try Alexis there again? Um, But, yeah, to your point, yes, but I I don't think um, apologies. I don't I don't think that's anything that Arsene Wenger didn't know already. It's just um, I I think if Wenger had known he had a world class striker on the left wing. He would have done this three years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I well, think and, so. And look, my my point is more just that, like we we jumped through so many mental hoops and did so much mental gymnastics to like defend, you know, oh, he's a goal every other game striker, and d- defend Olivier Giroud as if he needed defending. He's a very well compensated, very attractive, and well endowed, um, <laughs> and very talented striker. Um, with fantastic True, hair. but it was generally in relation to people inferring he's a donkey. And he's I mean, just look, you don't not... have to say people when I'm on the podcast. You can just say, <laughs> Elliot, I'm right here. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, calling him a look, donkey. We, we, don't, we don't have to go through this vanity project anymore, but I just think that the, my, my point is simply that you see the way this movie, not just the, the quality, the quality is part of it, but the movement and the dynamism has added so much to our game and that you feel for Giroud because I, you know, I think Giroud could be a superstar striker for certain clubs. I'm just not sure that he he was ever a fit for Arsenal. And to your point, Tim, I think the manager early on knew that, um, and it was just sort of a condition of of circumstance. But let's finish with this. Um, and Paul, I'll let you have the first swing at it. Bayern or Real? Who are we drawing? Um, Real, I think. Well, that'd be more exciting than Bayern. Tim, how about you? Yeah, um, yeah, I've got a feeling it might be might be real. If if it's Bayern, I'm I'm gonna cry. I really. Am. I mean, it's funny I really because gonna... I think they're beatable this season, but it's it's boring, yeah, right? It's it's, it's like boring, Barca. Yeah. You just don't just don't want it anymore. Um, so let me ask you this really quickly: your least desired draw in terms of not in terms of travel or who it is, but the team you think we have the worst chance of beating. And then the, your most preferred draw in terms of, again, not the travel or the opponent, but the one you think we have the best chance. 
So the one with the least chance, I'd say Real Madrid, probably just because they're just a lot better. I don't think it's anything like magic about their tactics or anything like that. They're just they're much better and much stronger, and it would be pretty similar to when we played Barcelona, I think. The old good at football excuse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The one I'd most like to draw... Um, I'm tempted to say Leverkusen, but then again, I'm I'm aware that I don't really watch them, so I don't really know that. Um, I'm not sure how well like Benfica and Porto are playing, but that's that's the area of the draw I'm I'm kind of looking at and thinking that's that's probably what I want. If you're going to throw the travel in, I definitely want Benfica because Lisbon's great and I've never been to their stadium. But um, yeah, if you know if I'm if I'm looking purely at what gives us the best chance of progression. Porto, Benfica, you know, maybe Leverkusen. I, I think that's where you're looking at, really. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I would say, I think actually Bayern, even though they're not amazing this season, would be harder for us than Real. I think watching Madrid play Dortmund the other night, they give you chances. Um, yeah. You know, and, and they'll give you the ball, which I'm not sure Bayern does. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying we'd beat either of them, but I, I'd almost prefer to play Madrid both for the novelty and for the chance and I think I'd say Benfica you know Porto from what I understand they're not great this season but they um you know they have a tremendous history in European competition now most of it you know they've won the CL obviously with a certain Portuguese manager but they they've been great in the Europa League recently they're used to going deep in these tournaments they have a phenomenal home pitch advantage right I mean that's a tough stadium to play at so I don't know maybe Benfica what about you Paul Uh, best case worst case um, I think worst case is Bayern. Much prefer the idea of Real. I think we can beat both of them. I'll, I'll be honest. That surprises this year. me that you would say that. Yeah. No. Um, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, we could have beaten them other years, but I didn't think we necessarily would. This time round, I really think we can give either one of those a damn good game. Um. And for the first time, to be fair to us, for the first time in years, we'll have that home leg advantage. And I think that's that has cost us dearly in the past. So it'll be interesting to see what we can do with it. The the trickiest draw might be Sevilla because, uh, you know, in theory, we're the bigger club, but they're really good at these European competitions. They are one of our possible candidates, aren't they? Yep. Yes, they are. Yeah. And uh, their manager, Jorge Sampaoli, he used to manage... Chile, and mm. uh, he he played. I mean, Seville are wonderful to watch actually at, at the moment. It would yeah. Seville if you're a neutral. Seville Arsenal is the draw you really really want because Seville plays superb football, but they play the type of football we don't really like. They yeah. they swarm you. They absolutely swarm you. That's very much San Paoli's style. So I agree with you. I think that would be really tough if we got them. Fair enough. Um, do you have a, a best case scenario? Uh, I'd go with uh, Benfica, I think. Okay. Um, look, I had sort of thought maybe kind of should we pick the scab at the Ozil and Alexis contract situation, but you know what? We're coming off a big nah. win. Things are going well. Let's pick that scab later when we uh, discuss their uh, the dual swap of Ozil and Alexis to Manchester City in the summer. Should be fun. Um, anyway, I kid. I kid. Um, everything's going well. Now we get the orcs. We get the orcs at our place. Um, to be fair, they haven't really had had the hoodoo or whatever the heck it's called over us um, at our place lately. And any chance we get to, to beat them is always something that we can look forward to. Um, and in particular for Aaron Ramsey, who, you know, maybe gets to exact a measure of revenge against a team that cost him quite a lot of his uh, his young playing time. So in any event, we'll look forward to that. Should be a good one. And we'll come uh, with another podcast after that. Uh, Tim, I am glad you made it back from your uh, trip to Switzerland. I know the travels were arduous, and I really enjoyed uh, the detailed explanation. Uh, <laughs> so you can follow Tim on Twitter, at Stilberto. And actually, it is a fascinating uh, uh, thing that happened to him, and if you'd like to hear about it, you should reach out to him on Twitter and ask about it. But in any event, Tim, thanks, and we'll talk to you after uh, Stoke. Certainly will. All right, good stuff. And uh, Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Posn in My Pants. Um, Paul, I thank you for your contribution and for being right about the lineup. Well, you know, the, the important parts of the lineup and all that going into the 
the Basel game. I, I apologize for my wrongness, but everyone can thank me for properly jinxing <laughs> PSG into uh, not beating Ludogratz. So, Paul, we'll talk to you uh, after Stoke as well. It was a pleasure being kind of, sort of, maybe right. We'll know maybe in the future, but we'll never actually be able to tell either way. Well, so look, knows. given that you tend to be positive about Arsenal, if you're right more often, it probably means things are going well for the club. So I'll take it. Um, mm-hmm. And my name is Elliot Smith. Block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us five-star review wherever you are allowed to review the podcast and then say uh, all the nasty shit about me in particular, all the ad hominem attacks you can think of uh, in the review section. That's that's probably the best way to do it. Um, we'll be back after Stoke. And until then, uh, enjoy watching crappy teams like Manchester United play on Thursdays, although by this time that's already done. Uh, and we will, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you after the weekend. Cheers.